Let's uh, pick it up where we left off last week in Romans chapter 8. Um, like I told you before, I think one of the best chapters in the Bible for the Christian life, for the victorious Christian life. Important to understand the doctrines being taught here. Um, you know, as we already covered, verses 26 and 27, um, the Holy Spirit of God helps our infirmities. And uh, that's a real blessing in light of the context as we've been going through this thing. When you left off in chapter 7, you realize that your flesh is rotten, right? And uh, I've talked to you about that. Us Bible believers have no problem admitting that. But, uh, you know, I don't want to use that as a constant beatdown. I don't think you always need to be beat down every time you come to church. Um, the, the truth of the matter is the flesh is rotten. The truth of the matter is, like we talked about Sunday morning, the heart of man is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. Well, God, <laughs> uh, because we don't know our own hearts, but God does. And it is funny to me that God cares about us in spite of us. That's a pretty wild thing to me. I'll be preaching to you a little bit about that Sunday morning. What a great God. Some reasons to praise Him. And we got some reasons to praise God. Um, but God tries the hearts and He searches the hearts. And then on top of that, Jesus Christ is the intercessor. He intercedes for us. He ever liveth to make intercession for us. Ain't that a blessing? Uh, you can have a good relationship with a holy God in spite of the fact that you're a sinful human being with a heart that messes you up all the time. Because Jesus keeps you saved. Uh, he intercedes to God. He understands your infirmities. He bore your infirmities. He gets the point. He gets the whole issue. He understands all your weaknesses, why you fail, why you messed up. He was tempted in every point like, as you, are, like you are, yet without sin. So he intercedes for you. But the Spirit of God also helpeth us. And look at what he helps. He helps our infirmities. Ain't that a blessing? Do you, do you get that point? The point is, don't walk away from God when you keep messing up and failing because He's the one, the Spirit of God's the one that helps your infirmities. He's there to intercede for you. He also maketh intercession for us before we know not what we should pray for as we ought. Nobody really knows how to pray right. But you're still commanded to pray. You don't know how to talk to a holy God. Your mind can't fathom Him. I'm going to do everything in my power to stretch your mind Sunday morning. I want to blow your mind Sunday morning. I want to get done with the, my first point Sunday morning, and I want every one of you in this room to feel so small and so inadequate that you just give up and trust God and His Word. That's what I want. That's the result that I want to come out of it. You don't, you don't understand God. You don't understand what He's doing in your own life, let alone the lives of somebody else. That's why the Bible tells you to mind your own business and not stick your nose in other people's business and not think you know what's going on in their life because you don't. <laughs> Uh, but God does. And he says we don't know how to pray. But the contrast. The spirit itself. I pointed out to you that it says itself. And the new Bibles help God out on that because they're stupid. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, is itself is okay right there. Because it's talking about the work the spirit does. Right? And in the Old Testament I showed that all to you last time. Maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. That simply means you don't know what to say. He takes it up there and he utters it to God. That doesn't mean you're not supposed to pray in words or some of the goofiness that some of these guys preach when it comes to this thing. When you look at it in context, he's saying you don't know how to pray. You pray. The Spirit of God reads your heart. This Jesus Christ knows the mind of the Spirit, takes your prayers up before God, and then interprets them to God according to the will of God the way they really need to be prayed. That's why sometimes you pray and you don't get, you don't get your prayers answered. 
Because your will is not coinciding with His will. So you're praying and you're beating the ceiling with your prayers, but they're not getting anywhere. The Holy Spirit of God is saying, Lord, that's what He wants, but don't give it to Him. You guys need to remember that, especially you, you young people when someday you fall in love and the Lord doesn't give you the person you want. That just might be God's blessing in your life. So don't get bitter against God because you're so small and so weak you can't understand what God's doing and you thought you knew what you wanted for your life better than God did. You just let the Spirit of God interpret those prayers. All right, verse 27, He that searcheth the hearts, already talked about this, knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Thank God for that. I'm glad God says no. One of the greatest things God could ever do for me in my life is when I ask him for something and he doesn't want it, he says no. Because he does know what's best for me. Verse 27, uh, verse 28, and we know. We don't doubt. We know that all things work together for good to them who love God, to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Now, I pointed out to you last week that doctrinally speaking, that thing applies to once you're in heaven. Everything you go through now is going to work out for your good later. That doesn't mean that in the here and now, things don't work out for your good. You do understand that, right? I'm saying doctrinally speaking, you can be guaranteed that all things that happen to you are going to work out for your good on the other side. Practically speaking, and this is how most guys teach this without the doctrine, most of them teach it only practically that it's a conditional promise. In other words, if you love God and you're called according to His purpose, then all things are going to work together for your good. But if you don't love God, then it won't work together for your good. Now, on the practical side of things, there may be a little bit of help to that. Do you understand what I'm saying? In other words, God allows something to happen to your li in your life, and you get bitter at God and mad at Him, and you don't put Him first, and you don't love Him above everything else. In other words, I'm really upset that this, that, or the other thing happened in my life. It didn't work the way I wanted. It didn't turn out the way I wanted. My heart got broken, whatever it was, and since God allowed my heart to be broken, now I'm mad at God. Therefore, I love that thing more than I love God. You follow that logic? Well, I could see then the things that happen to you not making you better, but making you bitter, practically speaking, in this world. Doctrinally speaking, this thing is doctrinal. That's what it's talking about. It's talking about in the afterlife. So this is an unconditional promise to save people when they die. You understand that? Now, on a practical level, maybe it can be applied somewhat practically that even in this life, if you handle your problems the right way, it's going to work out for your good. Take it or leave it. Verse 29. But we know what we know, we know. We know for sure that doctrine, that's an unconditional promise. has nothing to do with you walking with God or not. In verse 29, for whom he did foreknow, them he, al he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among every, and many brethren. So now we get into a couple of buzzwords for the Calvinist movement. Okay? It's very important for me to spell these out to you. First of all, he says, whom he did foreknow. Foreknow does not mean forechoose. This is what the Calvinists will teach. They'll take a verse like this and they'll say, God foreknew, therefore he forechose who was going to get saved and who wasn't. So you have no choice in the matter. You can't get saved if you're not one of the chosen. 
They like the word elect, which I'll show you tonight. They like the word predestined, which I'll show you tonight. And they like the word foreknowledge. So what they say is, God is the one who predestinated you before you were born in eternity past. God picked who was going to get saved and who wasn't. In other words, they believe in the limited atonement, that Jesus Christ's blood was only shed for the people that God chooses to be saved. That's hogwash. They say total depravity of man means you don't even have the ability in and of yourself to come to Christ. That's how sinful you are. Listen to me tonight. Listen to me. You have a choice in where you spend eternity. You hear me? If you go to hell, it's your fault. God did everything it takes to save your soul. He sent his son Jesus Christ down from, man, you can't even imagine how far he came. All the way down to this tiny little planet. To live the perfect life for you because you're all sinners. That's what the Bible says. All of sin comes short of the glory of God. You can't live a perfect life. Jesus Christ did it. He dies on the cross of Calvary, takes your sins to hell. He's buried. He's three days and three nights in the heart, in the heart of the earth. He rises again on the third day and heads back to heaven and ever liveth to make intercession for you. He did everything it takes for you to be saved. Now it's up to you. I'm so sick of all the misconceptions about salvation. I'm so tired of it. It's as simple as accept the fact that you're a sinner. A. Believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross of Calvary to take away your sin. B. And C. I mean, if you could do your ABCs, you could figure it out. C. Confess you're a sinner. Confess Jesus Christ as Lord. Ask Him to come into your heart and save you. And He'll save your soul right now where you're sitting. I mean, right now, you can get saved right where you're sitting. You can ask Jesus Christ to forgive your sins and save your soul, and he'll do it right now if you're not saved. Yeah. You don't have to have some big extravagant show, and I love altar calls, and I don't think we're ever going to stop them, okay? Amen. They're just old school enough to agitate people, so I'm going to keep giving them. That's just my personality. Amen. I like them. But you don't have to have some big extravagant altar call. You don't have to have some kind of an experience in the priest's office, you know, in the preacher's office. It's as simple as you want Jesus Christ to save you or do you want to go to hell? You want to burn in hell forever? Well, I don't. I'm not that smart, but I'm not that stupid either. You're offering me a free gift. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works that any man should boast. Nothing you can do to save yourself. Jesus Christ did everything he took that it was required to save you. And all you got to do is come to God by him. Come to God by Him. That's it. You know, nobody, can, nobody in this world can stop you from getting saved. Yeah. You know how many times people come to me and said, you know, I want to join the church. And I said, well, I'm glad. You know, I'm really happy to hear that. And you've been coming here for a few months now. But my concern is that you've got to be saved. You know, getting, joining this church doesn't save you. So, oh, preacher, I did that a couple months back during the invitation when you were preaching. I stood, sat right there in my pew, asked Jesus to save me. So what? Yeah, you said we could do it right there in our pew, and I did, and I remember it, and I'm, sure enough, something happened inside of me. So, well, that's a blessing. It's salvation simple. But these Calvinists want to make it so intellectual and so special. It's really a bizarre thing to me that most all Calvinists, their whole family is chosen just like they are. You ever notice that? I mean, why wouldn't you be like, yeah, that little devil's bound for hell from the beginning. God created, God created my child to burn eternally. 
Hello? Hell's prepared for the devil and his angels. God didn't prepare hell for anybody. So if God didn't prepare hell for mankind, he prepared it for the devil and his angels. He doesn't intend it for you. You're just going there because you choose it. But you know the Calvinist. He, of course, is chosen, and his wife, of course, is chosen, and all his kids are chosen, and then, coincidentally, his grandkids all get chosen, and you little hypocrite. I mean, what, about, what are you doing when you're raising a reprobate that was born to damnation because God didn't pick him in your own house? But the same guys will get up and go on and on and on about how a preacher's house must be in order, and that means all of his kids have to be... Some Calvinists, I'm reading some Calvinists right now, going on and on and on about pastoral ministry and pastoral requirements for ministry, and all of his children must grow up to love and serve Jesus Christ and confess Christ as Lord, and they have to raise their kids in church and do right, and if your kids backslide on God, even as adults, if your kids backslide on God and get out of church, you're disqualified from the ministry. Never biggest crock of baloney you ever read in your life. Now, how does that work if God picks and chooses who is and isn't? Oh, God and his divine power picked me, and so he knew since he picked me and appointed me to be a preacher that he was going to pick all my family. And then, well, what about the fact that you have to raise them right? You understand how this opens up a massive can of worms? You know what happens to people that believe that? They think every single bad thing that ever happens to them in this life is God, 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 because God did it in eternity past and the providence of God and God, God, God all the time. They don't recognize they're living in enemy territory. They don't recognize there's an adversary of the devil out there. They don't recognize that individual people make their own choices. So what is predestination talking about? So right here in this passage, it says, Whom he did foreknow. Foreknowledge simply means God knew who was going to get saved and who wasn't. That's all it means. Didn't he say that he inhabits what? Can anybody finish that one? I know it's a short piece. He inhabits eternity, right? The Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. He was, is, and is to come. So where's God? Oh, he's out in eternity past. <laughs> or is he right now? He's right here. Oh, where's God? Oh, he's out in eternity future. The whole thing's all wrapped up and you're out there with him. You're seated with him in heavenly places. That's where God is. You, figure, you think you can figure that out? You think a mankind's puny little mind can figure that out? You think about this. If somebody has an IQ of 200, what do you think? Pretty exceptional, huh? Anybody know how exceptional that is? How about 150? 150 ain't too shabby, huh? That's genius level. If you've got an IQ of 150, that means you're using 15% of your brain. Your human, sinful, dying brain. Now let me be offensive for a second. Can I be offensive for a second with a good purpose and a good heart? If you're using 15% of your brain, you're an ignoramus, you're an idiot, you're a moron. If you're using 200% of your brain... You realize how ignorant that is? 80% of your brain, 80% of what could be you don't use? <laughs> Guys, we're small. You understand the point? We're small. Even men with brilliant IQs are, are nothing before Almighty God. So when you start trying to understand everything there is to understand about God, eternity past, eternity future, the universe and all the rest of that stuff, you're exercising yourself after things that are too high for you. When you start trying to understand the Trinity, really understand it, 
I mean, really dig in deep and get it. You're messing around with a world you can't understand. You know why I believe the Trinity? Because he said it. <laughs> and then I got enough things I can study and evidences that I can see that I can shut the mouths of the most brilliant, most educated human beings. I've talked to some brilliant people. I'm talking brilliant. I'm talking people with 20, 30, and even, well, how old? Uh, not 40 anymore. I'd say, uh, I'd say 30 years on me of education and, and much higher IQ than I got. And I've shut their mouths. I've watched them get, get uncomfortable, clammy hand, nervous, stutter, and watch the body language while they're shifting around. And you know what I do? I stand there calm and confident, look them straight in the eyes and smile. I act like I'm, like I think, like I'm really brilliant, you know. <laughs> Like, I'm not shook up at all. Like, I got to just, I, they, you're a smart man. I'm thinking, no, you don't even know me. I'm really not. No, I'm really not. I've just been reading and reading and reading and reading and reading and reading and reading. And I work about twice as hard as other guys to understand half of what they understand. But I'm telling you something. This book right here, it's the mind of God. And it'll shut down every scientific argument and every brilliant mind there is. You know how I do it? Let me, can I give you my trick? I do it with common sense. Something stuck out to me years ago when Brother Lintz was, was uh, teaching us prep and delivery. And I think he gave it from uh, Bob Jones Sr. There was a bunch of bullet points about Bob Jones Sr. gave to his preacher boys and said every preacher needs to learn to master the use of this. And one of the things he said is master the use of common sense. And then he said, and then ridicule their intellect when they won't accept the truth. <laughs> That's old school preaching. I know nowadays you can't build a megachurch like that, but I, I'm not really trying to build a megachurch. So I, I'd rather captivate their minds with common sense and then ridicule their intellect when they refuse to believe the truth. And I think their intellect is ridiculous when they try to say that God picks people in eternity past. Let's look at what the Bible says about predestination. How about that? Go to Ephesians chapter 1. Folks, I hate that doctrine. And the reason I hate that doctrine is because it destroys churches. It, 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 it causes you not to witness. You know, the vast majority of the growth we've seen in this church in the last two years has nothing to do with my witness. Back in the early years, it was, I was doing a lot. There was, I mean, a pretty good number where I was out there beating the streets and dragging them in, and none of them lasted, but I was dragging them in, I mean, literally. Going into the trailer on and, and, and Sunday morning, the church was waiting for me to preach and running out of the guy's house and going in, walking into the bedroom where he's sleeping and waking him up. You said you were coming to church, man. Shaking the bed like, get up, man. He was all hung over and stuff. You said you were coming to church. Come on. That whole place is waiting for me. I'm supposed to be preaching right now and they're singing song after song after song because I'm not going in there to preach till you come to church. Let's go. That's a real story. That actually happened. I will spare you the details, but <laughs> you know what's been happening lately? We've all been witnessing. And as we've all been trying to witness and do our part here and there and a little bit here and a little bit there, God's been blessing it. I don't want to kill a soul in church. You tell them God picks and chooses who does and doesn't get saved, and that's exactly what your flesh needs to say. Well, they're either going to get saved or they ain't. Walk away from it. Ephesians 1.5 Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children. How? By Jesus Christ to himself. To the good pleasure, according to the good pleasure of his will. You know how you get predestinated? 
by Jesus Christ. Look at God's will real quick. We're going to come back here in a second. Go to 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3. Look at verse 9. 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's you. God does not want you to burn in hell the lake of fire for eternity. Listen, hear me, please hear me. The religions of this world don't care about your soul. We'll, we'll see it on Sunday night. The religions of this world want your money. They want your attendance in their church. They don't care about your soul. So they'll keep you hoping and doubting. And one of the ways, now here's how you gotta, you got to understand. How do I know I'm dealing with a religion and a cult versus the real thing? Every cult has a man who speaks as the authority of God. Do you understand that? So you go down through them. You can run through them all. The Roman Catholicism. you got the Pope can speak ex cathedra as God on earth. And they go by supposedly the Bible. Everything with two heads is a freak. you got the Mormons. They go by the Book of Mormon and the Bible. Anything with two heads is a freak. Jehovah's Witnesses go by the Watchtower and the New World Translation. Anything with two heads is a freak. You know, Islam goes by the Quran, the teachings of Muhammad that don't agree with the Quran, and the Bible. You did know that, right? They, they don't believe most of the Bible, but they believe the words of Jesus in the Bible. I didn't think with three heads is a freak. <laughs> That's a cult. I don't care if there's three billion members of it. It's a cult. When a man can tell you what God wants you to know and you have to accept a man's authority on your soul, that is a cult. Jesus said, Peter, love us not me more than these. Feed my sheep. You know what he wants you to feed them? The word of God. Paul said, holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught. The Bible's what the preacher's supposed to give you, and that's it. You're supposed to get it directly from the source. I'm nothing more than a channel. I'm nothing more than a tool in the hands of God that he throws to the side when he's done with it, picks it up when he wants, drops it again. The tool gets no credit. It's the craftsman that gets the credit. And the preacher's job is to be a tool to teach you the Bible so you can get it right from God. And just like Brother Mike said to me here in the middle aisle before church, he said, well, the Spirit of God sure does give illumination because the religions of this world are just crazy. And everywhere I go, I seem to just see that it's wrong when I know the Bible. Yeah. Think that's something else. He said, it applies everywhere I go. I said, yeah, amen, it does, doesn't it? Yeah. And he's been getting around lately, so. <laughs> All right, look at Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. Talking about the will of God. Now how could a God that picks some people to go to hell say things like this? 
For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. Verse 35, sorry, Mark 8, 35. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. You see the personal choice in there? Now how can, I, how can I lose my life if he didn't pick me to lose my life? You know why a lot of people don't get saved? Hear me. You know why a lot of people won't get saved? Especially young people. Well, I just want to live a little first. You're an idiot. If you're not born again, you know what you're not doing? You're not living, you're existing. You don't begin to live until life from God Almighty enters into you and quickens that dead spirit you got. Because according to the Bible, your spirit's dead in trespasses and sins. So you listen to dead men tell you about dead things and you reject a living Savior and men who have life in them. I've been on both sides of that coin. I was dead and now I'm alive. I know what it's like to mess around out there and I know what it's like to have the Spirit of God in here. And I'm telling you, you're missing out on nothing by giving your life to Jesus Christ as soon as you can in life. Just sell out to Him and give It's your choice though. He's not going to make you. All that stuff is foolishness is what that is. And it makes me mad if you can't tell. Go back to Ephesians chapter 1. I've got a lot more verses I could show you, but I've got to get moving. Ephesians chapter 1, look at verse 11. In whom also we have obtained an inheritance in Jesus Christ, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ, in whom you also trusted after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. It's good news. God wants to save you. In whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. You got to see all the way through there that you trusted, you obtained an inheritance. How? You're predestinated. Do you see it? When did you get predestinated? After you trusted Christ. You get predestinated the second you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. You're predestinated to be conformed to the image of His dear Son. Predestination is not God's choice to force you to one day get saved. Predestination is what happens to you after you get saved by obeying the gospel of Jesus Christ, by coming to God, whosoever cometh unto him, I will in no wise, whosoever cometh unto me, I will in no wise cast out. If you come to him, he'll save you. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you come to him, he'll save you. The second he saves you, you are at that point predestined to be conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. And man, what a great thing that is. I mean, when we get there, boy, we'll finally be happy. Go to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. I can't imagine what it would be like to be without sin. I can't imagine. I, I've never experienced it. I, I, think, I think it's got it's to be something like the way it felt the second you got saved. That's got to be some kind of a small seed of what it is. Because the second you got saved, the guilt of sin was gone, the burden of sin was gone, you were washed in the blood of Jesus Christ, you were freed from all that, and you knew it. I mean, man, something clicks inside of you, boy, like nothing else. How could it not if the Holy Spirit of Almighty God, God Himself, that inhabits eternity and is everywhere, moves into your tiny little heart? 
How could that not feel great? But then it's kind of all downhill from there. You know what I mean? I mean, all the sins you commit after salvation. Could you imagine being freed? Living in that moment times a billion? It's got to be great, man. Acts 2.23 Him being delivered, Jesus Christ being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. Have ye taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. You know what God did in his foreknowledge? He said, all right, I know how to fix this problem. And they made a decision. And by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge, they made a decision and God sent his son. You know who the elect is? The elect is Jesus Christ. Uh, go back to uh, Romans chapter 8. i got to get moving. So the elect is the Lord Jesus Christ, which we'll get into more later. Predestination is after salvation and according to foreknowledge. If you want to be elect, guess what you got to do? you got to get in the elect. So without running the references with you, Israel is God's elect. When God elects something, there is no unelection. Do you know that? You can't find anywhere in the Bible the doctrine of unelection. God chose Israel and she stays his elect. Jesus Christ in the Old Testament is referred to as God's elect. And by his determinate counsel and foreknowledge, he sent his son Jesus Christ to die on the cross of Calvary and all the rest of us with our free will get to choose whether we want to trust Jesus Christ as our Savior and accept the free gift of salvation, His shed blood on the cross of Calvary to wash away your sin, or don't. And the second you choose it, and by the way, God knows what decision you're going to make. What does God know about you? Does He know that you got saved, or does He know that you reject? I would, make sure, I would make sure that God knows in his foreknowledge that I accepted. If I, w if I wasn't saved, I would make sure he knows right now. I mean, before, before 8 o'clock. I mean, I'm talking like before 7.54. I would make sure God knows that I got in. I would choose to get in. I'm not harping on you. I'm just saying I don't want to see anybody sit in one of these church pews and then die and go to a devil's hell. I'd take it as my responsibility. I want to make sure that you go right through my preaching as plain as day and emphasis and emphatic begging you to please trust Christ as your Savior. Now. Right now. Right where you are. All right. Whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate. To be conformed to the image of his Son. You see it? That's predestination. That he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Look at verse 30. Moreover, whom he did predestinate. If you're saved, you're predestined. Them he also called. Now, by the way, I ran the references, and I recommend you look it up. It's pretty interesting. Run up, look up the word called in your Bible. And look at all Paul's verses on called, and see all the things as a saint you're called to. I found, I found 17 to 20 probably, maybe a little more. Some of them were overlapping. Do you know some of the references to called are even your secular work? Abide in the calling wherewith you were called. If a man doesn't work, neither should he eat. So when you get saved, God even turns your job into something spiritual. No excuses. If you don't have a job, get a job. 
Like my preacher says, God wrote a whole book in the Bible on it. J-O-B, job. <laughs> Get one. <laughs> this is sick of this generation that's too good to, to do anything, so they do nothing, you know, because you don't get the perfect job. I wouldn't take a job that pulls me out of church, though, by the way. Unless I had a wife and kids relying on me to put food on the table, I'd have to be a pretty desperate situation. I'd actually rather make less money and be where I can get fed the Word of God and get the fellowship of the saints and the help I need from God than to make a little more money and wind up away from God. But anyways, so there's a whole lot of things you're called to. And some of those things are spiritual positions, like apostles or pastors. But there's a lot of things all the saints are called to. Peace, unity of the Spirit. Go look at all the things God called you to. Whom he did predestinate, them he also called. Whom he called, them he also justified. Whom he justified, them he also glorified. You mean I'm already glorified? <laughs> it's good as done. I'm as good as there, man. You know what that kind of thought does? It blows my mind a little bit, but you know what it does for me? It makes me want to finish my course right. Because God already knows how I finish. You see that? You understand that? God knows how I finish. So in the moment, in the moment when I want to quit, when I want to mess up, in the moment when I get those temptations, I'm like, man, God knows what decision I'm going to make, and this is going to change and alter the course of my life. I reason with myself. Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. God sits back by his determinate counsel and foreknowledge. He counsels. Wisdom cries, calls, and asks you to think, and talks to itself. And counsels with his heart. You ever counsel with your heart? You should. What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? That's a great verse. In other words, folks, if you're saved, you're predestined, you're called. You're justified, you're glorified. So based on all that, dig yourself out of Romans chapter 7 and Jeremiah 17, the desperate wicked heart, and get your eyes on Jesus Christ and recognize all God's done for you and realize that you got something really good going for you. I mean, you got something really good going for you. He that spared not his own son but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? You know that in Jesus Christ you have all things that pertain unto life and godliness. That's 2 Peter 1.3. He's given you everything you need for this life. I know what you think you need. I get that. I get you feel like you need things God hasn't given you. I get all that. But according to the Bible, if God didn't spare his own son for you, and you trusted his son as your savior, then in his son you've got everything you need. The more important thing in your life than all your wants that you think are needs is drawing closer to the one that supplies everything you need. You, know, you, don't, you, don't, think, you don't think he knows a little bit about love? Who doesn't need love? You know, some of the meanest, toughest, tough guys are like, they don't need nobody. You know what their real problem is? <laughs> they need somebody to love them <laughs> the right way. 
You know what the problem with some of these nasty women is? These disgusting women nowadays. They've never been loved by a real man that loves them for the right reasons. Even if you're fat and ugly. Excuse me. That's the problem. They're looking for love in all the wrong places and attention in all the wrong places. You know, you can find love in Jesus Christ because he don't care about none of that stuff, ma'am. He could care less if you're cool or not cool, if you're attractive or not. None of that stuff matters to the Lord. He know, he's love. Don't you know you can find true love and companionship and loyalty and friendship? A friend that never leaves. Don't you know you can get the wisdom you need to get through the problems you got? You got some problem kids? Why don't you get on your face before God and talk to God about your kids? I'm glad for a praying mama and a praying daddy. When I was backslid, my mom would wake up at 2 o'clock in the morning every night and get out of bed and pray and get back in bed. Man, I, I don't know where I'd be if it wasn't for the prayers of my parents. Why don't some of you parents pray for your kids? You know what God might do? I'll tell you why you don't pray. Because God might show you you're the problem and you think you got all the answers already. You think you know what you're doing. I'm not trying to be mean to you. Excuse me if I'm a bit sharp, but I'm really feeling what I'm saying. I'm telling you everything you need is in Jesus Christ. What could be more important in your prayer life? What's more important than your Bible reading? What's more important than getting to church? He can fix you. He's given us all things. If he didn't spare his son, but delivered him up for us, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. That's why we don't need to be picking at each other all the time. You know, when you go gossiping about somebody else, you just make yourself look that much worse. Because every critical thing you say about somebody else, they could say just as much about you. It ain't our business to be picking each other apart. Now, I'm not saying cover up sin for people or crimes for people. What do we do? If they can, like, call the cops. That's what you do if it's a crime. Don't call me. Call me second. Call the cops first. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm not saying cover-ups. I'm talking about nitpicking at each other over dumb stuff and not giving people time. When somebody's saved, they've been washed in the blood, they've been sanctified, and they're a work in progress. So have some grace and charity with one another. Who is he that condemneth? It's Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. There it is. The Spirit makes intercession, and Christ makes intercession. Why? To keep you right. If Jesus wasn't making intercession for you, you'd lose your salvation. You can't keep it. <laughs> you can't keep it. Your salvation is perfection. You can't get into heaven with sin. Not one little sin. You can't walk in there with one little sin. You've got to be washed clean. That's what Jesus did. That's why you've got to trust him as your Savior. Who is he that condemneth? It's Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again. Who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. I'm glad I got an intercessor. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Well, you don't always feel loved, do you? Especially when dad says no and walks away. Good dads do. Yes, sir. 
They don't always say yes. Pacifistic, effeminate pushovers always say yes. Good dads will say no. And then you pout and get mad, and they're like, you better wipe that look off your face before I wipe your face off your face. You know what I mean? I'm just kidding. They don't say mean things like that. You fall down and skin your knee, and dad says to the boys, of course, not the girls, and guys, when they're four years old, let them be four. Okay, you start teaching them to be a man, but they are four, right? So don't turn them into a Navy SEAL at four. You'll have a psychopathic killer on your hands by 15 and not know why. But what do you say to the boys? They fall down, they skin their knees, say, all right, boys, suck it up. Let's go. You'll be all right. Okay, dry it up. Stop crying. And mom's like, oh, and she's falling apart, but dad's making a man out of them. You know, you fall down and skin your knees, and your heavenly father says, all right, you'll be okay. I'll patch it up. Got some stuff here. All right, now stop crying. Now let's move on past this. You're going to be all right. You don't always feel loved, but we define love in all the wrong ways. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, we live in a generation that doesn't understand love. He loves you. What's going to separate you from that? Tribulation? Distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword. Do you, do you understand what he's saying might happen to you? So much for the charismatic or Pentecostal, you know, prosperity gospel garbage. In serving God, it might mean you suffer more. Maybe that's what Jesus meant when he said, take up thy cross and follow me. Now he quotes Psalm 44, as it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long, we are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. That doesn't mean God doesn't love you. Nay, in all these things, now, you, folks, you're getting off into some super spiritual territory right now. You don't see much of this in modern Christianity. When we think we're persecuted because, you know, it's a little bit too cold in church or the preacher went a little bit too long or somebody didn't say hi to me. or In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. That means you take on everything that comes your way, standing strong like a battered soldier and staring it straight in the face and saying, well, I got the love of God and I got eternity coming and I got all I need in Jesus Christ, so here we go. You're not shook up like the world is about COVID or World War III or whatever else is going on. Like, what are we going to do about it anyways? The Pentagon's putting out or somebody from the Pentagon or something saying, oh, we got the makings for World War III, Iran, and China, and Russia. And, you know, okay. What about the economy? Okay. I didn't stop by Kroger today and buy the love of Jesus. I got that. I got eternity. So whatever happens between here and there, I'm still, according to the Bible, I'm more than a conqueror. I'm not just a conqueror. I'm more than a conqueror through him that loved us. Where's the defeated Christian life? In the middle of a bunch of garbage is what it's saying. 
For I am persuaded. I hope you're persuaded about some things. I hope you got it sewn down so deep in your soul that nothing can shake you loose from the love of Jesus Christ. I'm persuaded that neither death. Do you know what's going to happen to you after death? You know, the last enemy that's going to be destroyed is death. That means the devil gets destroyed before death. I'll show you in Revelation. The last enemy is death. What do you fear the most? <laughs> I mean, you're really dying, right? That neither death nor life. Sometimes living's worse than dying. Hello? Some people's lives are so bad and so miserable that it's worse than death. Nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, we'll talk about that Sunday morning, nor depth, that means anything in outer space or anything in hell, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That means you wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this world. That means it doesn't matter how much the devil's coming after you. Listen, try not to even think about it. You understand what I'm saying? Just try not to just put it out of your head. He might be coming after you. You might be dealing with some, some demonic spirits or some devils that are tempting you or struggling against you or pushing against you. Listen, get it out of your head. That's, that, how do you handle it, preacher? The love of Jesus Christ. Get on your knees and walk with God. Open up your Bible and pray. Don't worry about them. Hey, get focused on Him because in Him you're more than conquerors. So if you draw close to Him, He'll take care of you. We got it all in Jesus Christ. So put the rest of it out of your head and don't worry about it. And by the way, powers, who cares who gets voted in in November? I'm getting out ahead of this one because I guarantee you it's going to be creeping into all the pulpits, all the preachers all over America, even the Baptist preachers. Getting out ahead of it. Our hope is not in Donald Trump. Do you understand that? I don't care who gets voted in next. This world ain't my home. Now, wouldn't it be great if something great happened and no wars, no World War III broke out and the economy went great and we all made a bunch of money and put on a parking lot in an addition and then it all blows up? Wouldn't that be great? <laughs> but so what? One way or the other. You know what's more important than all that? Do you love Jesus Christ? Do you understand? Do you? Listen. Do you understand how much He loves you? No matter what you're going through. With him, you got everything you need. So I didn't even intend to be on it this much, but let me close it like this. If you don't have him, would you accept him right now? I mean, I'm going to close in prayer right now. And while I'm praying, if you're here tonight and you're not saved, would you ask Jesus Christ to come into your heart and save you right where you are? Because if you'll ask him to save you right where you are, accept him as your, he'll save you before you leave here tonight. And the rest of you... You need to just wallow in the love of Jesus Christ a little bit. Father, we love you tonight. We thank you for loving us.